G'day, welcome along to another sermon from Good News Christian Church in Howrah, Tasmania, Australia. I'm Bernard Kane, I'm the pastor. Get in touch sometime at goodnewschristianchurch.org or why not come by one Sunday morning. For now, here's the sermon. This is kind, it's kind of, we're at the last Sunday for the year. And as our uh, year, one year draws to a close and uh, another begins to unfold before us, I wonder if you've begun to wrap your head around that yet. I don't feel like I have yet. Um, I'd like to ask us a question. And it's a, it's a fairly kind of um, uh, deep, perhaps confronting, maybe too confronting for some of us uh, question. But I ask it nonetheless. Does bitter experience make for bitter people or better people? Does bitter experience make for bitter people or better people? Um, some of us here have endured a year marked by very bitter experiences indeed. Uh, some of us, that's not the case, is it actually? So for some of us, we've had um, a very bright year, really pretty bright when, as we look back on it and we're really thankful for it. In fact, even those of us, many of us with having experienced bitter years, we still want to look back in thankfulness. Nevertheless, some of us have had bitter years this last year in 2019 and are frankly glad to see the end of it. Uh, others of us have had a pretty good year and we'd like another one the same, if you wouldn't mind, please. Um, are we better, brighter people simply because we've had a pretty good year, thanks very much, and will that all come apart once the bitter experience breaks in upon our world, our little world in, uh, in the year to come, in the days to come perhaps, as 2020 dawns in front of us? Does bitter experience make for bitter people or better people? Um, I think I've seen both. I wonder if you're the same. Uh, have you seen the same thing in the lives of the people around you? Has bitter experience at times and sadly led to an embittering of the heart of folks that you know? A hardening of sorts, this lasting, not just woundedness, but a, a, a darkness almost that seems to grip for so long to come, which I, I can't say from my vantage point at least, can't say that it's made them a better person to have gone through that experience, whatever it was. Uh, it certainly hasn't made them a brighter person. And I don't mean that as a nasty comment, just as an observation. And yet sometimes, have you seen this as well, and isn't it a, isn't it a delightful thing to see, bitter experience in the case of others and at other times has led to almost a healing, almost a bettering of people. You kind of wouldn't know them and it's a beautiful, you wouldn't know them for, for, but for that experience, like if you saw them before and you saw them again afterwards, gosh, what a change it's been in their life. Bitter experience, but they have emerged a better, a more mature, a more expansive individual in the kindness of God to them. And they'd never wish that experience on another person or never want to go through it again, quite the opposite, but they have just become more beautiful people. Why? Well, precisely because they've gone through some bitter experience or other. And now why is that? And how is that? Well, I think it's hard to say exactly. But something happened there. Something extraordinary, something significant. They were enriched in the kindness of God somehow through a brutally difficult season of life. Can you think of people like that? Have you ever seen such a thing in a person who's very dear to you? I bet you have. So, does bitter experience make for bitter people? or better people? That is the lens 
that I would like us to bring to Psalm 116 this morning on this almost eve of a new year and at the close of 2019 together. What makes the difference between a bitter experience embittering a person or it bettering that person? The difference between it having a hardening effect or a healing effect on their lives, as it seems to do in Psalm 116. Uh, How about we pray as we come to God's word now? Let's uh, please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, your people right down the ages have experienced uh, many, indeed most, if not all, of the lows, as well as the highs, that your people experience today. There's not much new under the sun. And yet some experiences, they are new to us. They are hard for us. They are bitter in our lives because it's our lives. Father, we do want to stop and thank you for the year now gone, for 2019. We are immensely grateful to you as the Father who showers us with good things. We stand here this morning surrounded by brothers and sisters in the Lord. Uh, We stand here, sit here, uh, one year closer to the glorious return of Jesus. What a thought. We stand here or sit here as evidence of your Spirit's sustaining work in us. Perhaps there were times this year where we weren't sure that we were going to make it to today, but here we are. Father God, thank you for your abundant, faithful, patient ways with us. But now as we turn to this focus on bitter experience, would you please help us together to navigate our way through treacherous waters? Today, O God, we seek your guidance and your heart to address issues perhaps in our past that still have their claws in us, to address, in a sense, our future selves for the next time that hardship rears its ugly head. Would you prepare us, O God? Would you prepare us now by your word? Would you, in your all-wise and yet strange ways, make us better and, yes, more beautiful brighter people, at least in your eyes, please. And in Jesus' name we ask for your help. Amen. So what we're going to do, let's turn first of all to the psalm. So if you've got a Bible on your laps or on your app or whatever, please open it up. Uh, Psalm 116, that's where we're going to be. What dynamics are in play in this person's life here in Psalm 116? Because I put it to you that we see three features in Psalm 116. Uh, he, the, the writer here, or I, su- I suppose it could be a she, I don't know, I'll refer to him as a he just for simplicity, uh, he experiences a real bitter experience, right? There is, there is the b- bitter. He emerges somehow the better or the brighter, a more beautiful person from it, I would contend. So he's bitter, yet better or brighter. And I put it to you that his belief stands somehow as having defining significance in that experience, through that experience, uh, carrying him somehow uh, um, through that as a defining significance for him at least. Uh, There's more that we're going to have to say, but let's begin in Psalm 116 with the writer of this psalm. And I think it's fair to say he lived through something terribly bitter. But I'm not quite sure what it was. And I wonder if you'd agree as we read through. Let's, uh, Let's read some of the verses now. Psalm 116 and verse 1. I love the Lord for he heard my voice, he heard my cry for mercy. Come down to verse 3, the cords of death entangled me, the anguish of the grave came over me, I was overcome. 
by distress and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me! Down at verse 8. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death. We're starting to get a picture of what he's been through, aren't we? Delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I trusted in the Lord when I said, I'm greatly afflicted. In my alarm, I said, everyone is a liar. Verse 15, down at verse 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants, which I think just means that God weighs the life of each one of his children very seriously indeed. Now, to my ears, and I wonder if you're the same, um, I'm not quite sure what he's been through. It's not entirely clear, some kind of near-death experience for sure, but what exactly it is, I don't quite know. There seem to be some people around him that have caused him significant grief, that's driven him to distress, but, and in some sense, reading it just like this, I wonder if we need to sort of sit with it and dwell with it a bit longer, because on first reading, it does sound a bit wooden, listening to someone else's distress, as we guess at what he's been through. But can we say this? I do think it is good for us to hear in the language of our very own scriptures and perhaps as we process our own grief at uh, loss or our own anxiety and our own fear at perhaps some surgery that we are facing in the coming year and uh, the odds aren't looking too crash hot or our own emptiness and hollowness when things have fallen apart in one area of life or another. I think it is good for us to hear in the pages of our own scripture, to hear that God's people have, uh, verse 3, felt overcome by distress and sorrow in the past. It's been part of the experience of God's people down through the ages. Uh, They have faced, verse 8, faced my own death, eyes full of tears. It's part of, in a sense, the normal experience of the faithful uh, because not only that, but he, he, was he an ungodly, unfaithful mess of a man? Does he come across like that? Uh, it, it doesn't sound like it to me, friends. Not really. No, it's, uh, what does it say, verse 10, when I was trusting in the Lord. That's when I said I'm greatly afflicted. In other words, it wasn't my fault that God's bringing all this upon me. And I know, brothers and sisters, yes, we are all sinners. As uh, Gary said to us before, we need to understand grace. Grace is unmerited. But uh, what, what I mean is, it's not like he had it coming. He brought it on himself. Do you see what I mean? God, why am I suffering right now? Is there any reason for it? See, brothers and sisters, God has put these words in his word to us and for us. And I think that's a good thing. Um, Barry Webb, a uh, a Sydney cider, actually I think he's from Queensland, uh, an older gentleman, Bible scholar, he makes the point that the closest we get in the Bible to near-death experiences are those related in certain psalms, such as this one. Here in Psalm 116, he says, we have the personal testimony of someone who has stood on the very threshold of death's door someone who has stared death in the face, someone who has rubbed shoulders with the grim reaper and has lived to tell the tale. Like ourselves, he was in no hurry to die. However much he anticipated life after death, it was not something that he relished. So firstly, bitterness. 
He's been through bitterness, a bitter experience of some sort. And yet, I would say, and I wonder if you share my point of view, I'd say he emerges the brighter for it. Dare I say the better somehow. A somehow more beautiful man. Would you agree? And I know we don't have a snapshot of him beforehand, but he sounds so warm and so kind. There's something that I want to become as I face suffering in life in this man. Uh, I wonder if we'd... uh, we'd guess what, his, what he'd been through were we to meet him, such a warm and bright and lovely man. Psalm 116 verse 1, listen to him gush here. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice, he heard my cry for mercy, because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. Come down to verse 12, sentence number 12. What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. Down at verse 18. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord. In your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. Brighter and better. And lastly, very quickly, the trait that sticks out to me, and again, would you agree... I think is his belief. It's one of the traits that runs right through here. He's been through a bitter experience, he's emerged a better man, and yet his belief seems to be the defining trait of him even through it and as he reflects back on it, which might make it sound like I'm praising him, the man. Oh, look at his belief. I wish I had his belief. If only I could muster that kind of faith, perhaps that's what I need to face the darkest hour in my life. But can we see this? Why does he believe? He believes, it seems to me, because God is believable to him. He has faith because his God is faithful to him. His God can save, his God will save. In fact, his God now has saved him and that belief seems to reframe his suffering and bitter experience as something that can now better him as a man because his God has borne him through it, saved him from it, uh, been there for him in the midst of it. Here's where perhaps some of us can't immediately relate to him because perhaps God hasn't saved us from it, borne us through it, spared us from whatever hardship we've endured. Nevertheless, let's have a look at uh, the belief in his life, at least, this faith. Uh, So, from verse 1 again, I love the Lord for, in other words, why? Because I love the Lord for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear toward me, I will call on him as long as I live. Come with me down to verse 6. The Lord protects the unwary. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. But... But that may not be your experience. Has the Lord delivered you from uh, the bitter or brutal or awful uh, or seemingly endless days? 
Um, some of you have endured pain for many, many decades now, and it just doesn't go away, does it? He hasn't taken that away from you. Some of you uh, carry griefs uh, that you know will change, but they'll never leave you. Not in this life. Uh, some of you, um, actually for some of you, if life follows the normal pattern, um, you know, you have it pretty good at the moment, really. There's honestly nothing to compare, nothing to complain about in that sort of, you know, on that grand scale. Uh, uh, but you look around and you wonder, you honestly wonder how you'd go if you had to carry her burdens or his burdens. Even as you look around the room and you think, I just, I don't know how I'd go if that was, if I had to go through that. If this coming year, I find myself having to walk in her shoes or his shoes, I don't know how I'll go. Brothers and sisters, this is where I think we have to see Psalm 116, not as the final word from God on suffering, because it's not, but still a faithful word from God to us, revealing, how do I put it, revealing his heart to see better things and brighter days come to his believing children, even as they buckle under the weight of bitter experience. Uh, Let me say that again, Psalm 116 reveals our God's heart to see better things and brighter days come to his believing children, even as and while they suffer under the, the, the buckle of bitter experience. And so please turn with me uh, initially to Matthew chapter 26. Could we turn to Matthew 26 briefly and then we'll get to 2 Corinthians uh, in a few moments' time. But Matthew 26, if you could. So we're in the New Testament now. The Psalms were written, oh, some of them around about 1,000 BC. Uh, Now we're leaping forward around about 1,000 years to the time of Christ in Matthew 26. Brothers and sisters, we aren't promised that he'll never give us more than we can handle, if by that we mean that we'll always be able to keep it together. We aren't promised an end to bitter experience when we become Christians. We are promised, we are promised that one day our bitter experiences will somehow be undone, unravelled, taken away in a sense. But what we have right now, in the bitterness, and as we face the bitterness, is the assurance that our Lord boldly bore the bitterness of life with us and among us, and in some sense, for us. The call of the gospel, as we're about to see, the call of the gospel in days of bitterness isn't just to buck up and believe. The call of the gospel is to let him be with you in your bitterness, with your bitterness, not leaving you alone to it. So let's have a look, Matthew 26, verse 36, as we see our Lord on the night that he was betrayed and just before he was executed, then Jesus, uh, Matthew 26, verse 36, yep. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, along with him and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. 
Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And of course, he went to the cross, didn't he? They arose, all right, the disciples, and then they deserted him and they fled and he was betrayed by Judas and uh, the cords of death indeed entangled him. Friends, here's what's interesting. Jesus of Nazareth, uh, what, what did, how did the psalm put it? What was the language of the psalm? Jesus of Nazareth gave his voice to the Lord. It, right here, cried out for mercy, didn't he? Called on him as long as he lived. He shed tears and his feet stumbled as he walked up to Golgotha. He was surrounded by liars. He was entangled by the cords of death and he was abandoned to the anguish of the grave. Where was his salvation from the Lord? Exactly. Only on the other side of his resurrection. Christ's death and Christ's resurrection life reveal to us a better man, so to speak, emerging from bitter experience to a brightness that bitterness now will never again touch or stain or spoil. And I think that's why we can both believe in him and find our better selves in him and with him even now. Could we turn to one last place to see that in action? Come with me to 2 Corinthians 4 now, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, the passage that Peter read to us just a few minutes ago, well, more than a few minutes. <laughs> uh, Paul speaks here of the Christian as a brittle thing, as like a jar of clay, and yet there is something bright going on in your life, Christian. The kind of bright that a bitter world desperately needs to see, desperately needs to find for themselves, the brightness of what Christ has for each one of us and for our suffering world. So if we pick it up from, say, verse 7, there's the image there of 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7, but we have this treasure, the treasure of the glory of Jesus, the brightness of his gospel. We have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that his all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Sorry, this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. Come, come with me to verse 16, down to verse 16. Therefore, we don't lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. 
yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Friends, does bitter experience make for bitter people or better people? I don't know much, but I'll say this confidently. Were it not for our Christ, who bore bitterness with us, who bore bitterness for us, to give us brightness and a better world beyond, without Christ, I think we'd be left with bitterness, wouldn't we? Bitter experience, indeed, eventually it would crush us and it would lead to bitter people. May Christ be our light this year be it a bitter year or a better year or a beautiful year for you. Let's pray together. Our Father God in heaven, we are indeed pilgrims on a long journey. The road is long and the obstacles many and yet Christ walks with us and we walk it together with him. Father God, would you lift up our hearts this coming year, we pray please. Lift our hearts with the tender news of Jesus, of our God with us. Father, fill us please with a hope in Jesus that is bright, even though times may be dim, uh, that is beautiful, though life at times may be ugly and difficult. Father, we pray for those of us who carry a heavy load indeed right now of grief or pain. Would you be near to them? Would you comfort them? Would you be their refuge? Would you be our comfort and our strength and our safe place? Some of us carry anxieties about the year ahead. We're not quite sure what it will hold and we're pretty sure it's not all good. Father, may the wounds of Jesus speak to us of the character and the heart of our God toward us. May the life of Christ lift us back up and be our guiding light this year. Father, perhaps we have bright times ahead this coming year and we do humbly ask that it would be just so. May we, may us together, this community of believers, Good News Christian Church, may we become more beautiful people by the presence of your spirit among us this year, whatever comes, whatever may happen outwardly. May we know the daily inner renewal of hearts and minds and soul and strength set on the glorious return of Jesus. May Christ shine brightly in and from us, please. Amen.